your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Pitch. Hot shot. Base hit down the left field line. Roscoe will score. Here comes Cervantes. He's being waved home. Acker also being waved home. And the relay throw to the plate is not in time. It's a bases clearing double by Bryce Matthews. And the Cornhuskers lead it 4 to nothing. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, Tuesday night, Sports Nightly. Man, it is March. You can feel it. State tournament boys action underway today. We had the girls last week. Man, that is a such a fun couple of weeks to be in high school, following a high school team. Good luck to everybody. Be safe coming to and from Lincoln, but... It is fun. You've got conference tournaments going on all across the country. As Tim just told you, the Big Ten women's tournament got underway today. Illinois advanced, beating Wisconsin. The Husker women will play tomorrow bright and early, 10 a.m. tip time for the Husker women. In fact, Matt Cotney is going to be with us in hour number two to preview their matchup tomorrow with Minnesota and a little bit about the tournament that's going on. Only 13 teams at the Big Ten women's tournament. There are 14 teams in the league. What's what's the deal? What's happening? We'll ask Hope why there's not one team there this year. The men's tournament also gets underway tomorrow. The Husker men will play the late game. There's two games on the men's side tomorrow. The women will have four games. The men have two. The Husker will play Penn State for the third time this year. They've had two terrific games with the Nittany Lions. A one-point Nebraska win at State College. A three-point Nittany Lion win in Lincoln tomorrow for that uh, so we'll have a short sports nightly for you tomorrow night, leading you into um, Husker men's basketball tomorrow night as they take on Pennsylvania State tomorrow night. All right, coming up this hour, we'll have, hear from John Cook. He had a press conference earlier today. Big, big matchup coming up this weekend for the Huskers as they will take on undefeated Ohio State. The Buckeyes off to a 12-0 start. They haven't cracked the top 10 yet. Uh, but they are undefeated, and they, that includes a sweep over Penn State. They've also uh, won a match against Michigan State, a couple of matches against Michigan State, who's not a bad team. They've also, they also swept Illinois. So this will be a challenge for John Cook's squad this weekend, Friday night and Saturday night at the Devaney Center. So we'll hear from Coach Cook at his press conference earlier today. That's coming up later on in the hour. We'll go beyond the headlines in hour number two. It's Tuesday. That means Top Ten Tuesday headed your way. We'll have that in hour number three. And we'll also hear from Husker track and field coach Gary Pep on the Huskers. Have a couple athletes headed off to the NCAA indoor. Uh, we'll recap what happened at the Big Ten indoor for Husker track and field with the head coach coming up in hour number three. So looking forward to, we always look forward to catching up with Gary Pepin. And as always, phone lines open and available for you at 531-500-4686. That is our Sports Highly hotline, which is brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. We begin, Ben, with an announcement that came out earlier today from the Big Ten Conference as it relates to attendance, in-person attendance by fans, not just family members, which is what has been permitted all year long, but uh, by uh, others, for other people, just general fans being able to come into the venues 
over the last quarter of the school year. And it's it's kind of vague, to be honest with you. It talks about uh, we that we we're tran- the league is transitioning from uh, making the decision to relying on local health authorities, much like they did in Indianapolis for this week's men's and women's tournament. They go, we are transitioning to that for the remainder of the uh, Big Ten championships, tournaments, championships that are still to come, and that will include, like, uh, soccer. It will include track and field, uh, golf, tennis, those type of things. They're going to rely on the local health authority for whoever is hosting that. Like, Nebraska is going to host the – Big Ten Men's Gymnastics Championship here in a couple weeks. So they'll rely on Lancaster County for what they say to that. What they don't get into, Ben, is what about the remaining regular season events for baseball, softball, soccer, track and field? They don't touch that. Uh, They said decisions about that are still to come. But they go, this is our way of transitioning from us making the call at the league office to letting the individual health departments make that call, which I, that's the way I think it should have been all along, is that. But they have yet to open the gates for regular season events. Maybe it's coming, right? It, it still may be on the way, but it's not here yet. And a lot of people jump to the conclusion, why not baseball? They haven't closed the door to that, but they didn't open that yet today. What, what was your take by the announcement of the league earlier today? Um, I, I think I'm I'm kind of – uh, on on a couple sides of this thing, I I think that number one, I think it's good that you know we're at least having the conversation of letting fans back in. Um, I mean, I think this is progress from where we were even a week ago. So in, in that way, I'm I'm glad. But at the same time, I, I I'm thinking if if that's if that's truly the logic, then then what are we what are we waiting for for regular competition? You know why? Why is it just on on championships and tournaments? I, I don't that part. I don't. I don't get why. Why is it safe in certain instances but not others? That so I'm having I'm having some trouble understanding the the logic from the league about it, you know turning it over to 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 local health officials and you know base basically each community on on if it's safe or not. I, I just don't understand how that's only applicable in certain situations, um, you know, being being a championship event or a tournament setting. So that part's frustrating. I, I, I don't know. I, part of me is just has the pessimistic view on this thing, and it thinks that this is the league's way of just annoying, um, <laughs> like, like just – avoiding the subject right yeah. i mean th- yeah. we're just not going to address it we're going to address the championship issue because we've received some pressure for the basketball tournament but we're just going to hop over the fact that there's still spring sports happening and just not address that at all because it wasn't addressed there was nothing that was said today about it um at all so yeah i just they went with one issue but not the next and you know who knows when or even if that this is this is talked about again while spring sports are going on you're right i mean it's basically about the upcoming big 10 championships and tournaments which by the way there is no baseball tournament right they did away with that a few weeks ago that they're not going to have that uh but there is there is some upcoming championships gymnastics 
You've got uh, track and field will have their big outdoor championships in May. So there are some events that this will impact. They're, they're tra- as they said, the goal is to transition from a conference-wide approach to local decision-making in consultation with public health departments and university medical experts. But you're right, there is nary a word in this release about regular season action that is still to come. Nobody in the Big Ten has had a home baseball game. Nobody in the Big Ten has had a home softball game. Nobody in the Big Ten has had a home track and field meet at the outdoor level. They've had indoor meets, but they have not had outdoors. Those are all still to come. Soccer got out of way a few weeks ago. So it would certainly affect that. I think Nebraska soccer has a handful of home matches still to come. Uh, and obviously volleyball has a month left in its regular season. And Nebraska has a handful of home matches still to come. I think Nebraska has, what, five home matches still to come? Seven, something like that. It's either five or seven still to go. Now, if I play devil's advocate, and I might be more on the devil's side of this thing here, to say, well, is that really fair to open the gates midway through a season where some teams have had huge matches at home already and didn't get the advantage of having a crowd, but we're going to let somebody who might have a big match late in the year have a crowd. I could see that argument as, as it relates to volleyball. I know that's not what Husker fans want to hear. They want to go right now. They want to go, they want to go Friday night to the Devaney Center and watch Ohio State. That's what they want to go see. They want to see their Huskers play Ohio State Friday night at the Devaney Center. That ain't going to happen right now. It's not going to happen. But there's some other home matches for that team coming up. The NCAA tournament is going to be in Omaha in about six weeks, and they're going to have fans in there. So th- this was a s- step, maybe a half a step in the right direction, but they didn't dip their toe all the way in and make a definitive answer. And I, I know around here, I know our athletic department, our ticket office, Ben, they've been inundated with emails, calls. What's the deal? They don't, they don't have an answer to give them, and I think that's really frustrating. Yeah, it absolutely is. And at what point are we stop worrying about what schools have a better fan base to to provide support for their teams than others to provide a competitive advantage? I mean, who's why why is that taken more into consideration than it is Nebraska having to go to Rutgers and uh, go to Indiana and go to State College? Nebraska has to travel a lot more miles. That's a lot more time on buses and planes than other teams. So isn't that a competitive advantage for some of those other teams that Nebraska's having to spend more time traveling? I mean, if that's truly what we're doing, let's let's analyze the competitive advantage part here. Um, you know, more noise rooting for your teams, more time traveling and away from home. I think they're pretty comparable. So let's – why are we worrying about that and not worrying about let's let's put the best product that we can together for your conference and put a good product out there for your for your the fans of your league you know get get people out there rooting for i i've been watching a ton of college baseball streams over the last few weeks and you know florida opened up a new ballpark this this year and they've got fans all over the place bomb stadium in fayetteville has been full even the same building that we were at in Round Rock the week before had a couple thousand people in there watching baseball. And, and so, and then we show up the next week, just big 10 and only parents are allowed. It's let, let's start fixing the optics of our conference a little bit for the sake of the quote unquote competitive imbalance that it would provide with people watching the games. I mean, for baseball's sake, there's a couple of these pods every week. So it's not like, you know, for example, we go up to, to Minneapolis, that it's going to be a home atmosphere for Nebraska uh, at, at, at 
the Viking Stadium. I mean, obviously there will be Husker fans there, but it wouldn't be anything close to what it would be a Haymarket Park. And I doubt there's a bunch of people from Columbus or Iowa City lining up to, to go to Minneapolis to watch these games either. So is there really a competitive advantage to allowing people in there? I just I don't think that's the real reason, Greg. I, I, I just I refuse to believe that that's why the Big Ten is not allowing fans is because it's a competitive advantage for if that's the case, then let's start capping the size of capacities of crowds for all sports to make sure that, you know, every school has the same amount of people, you know, for every sport, because now all of a sudden, once this goes away, you're not going to care about the competitive advantage playing at High Point Solution Stadium in Piscataway as you are the horseshoe in Columbus. <laughs> you're just not going to care about that. So why is it an issue right now? Oh, boy. Just it's been something. And it's been head scratcher after head scratcher after head scratcher. That came out earlier today. So we wanted to get you updated on that. Wish we had more information for you because I know I get asked a lot about baseball, about volleyball. Can we go see the team play? Nope, not yet. And I guarantee you, folks, Bill Moose wants those gates open at Haymarket Park in the Devaney Center. He does. He's fighting for you. Ronnie Green's fighting for you. It just didn't happen at this point in time. Hey, buckle up. Put the phone down. It's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Again, the men's tournament for basketball gets underway tomorrow. 8,000 fans allowed in Lucas Oil Stadium to watch basketball. I don't know that there'll be that many there tomorrow night, but maybe there will be. Maybe I'll be surprised. But up to 8,000 fans allowed per session. Uh, for the men's side, the women, it's 2,500. They're at Banker's Life Fieldhouse, the home of the Pacers. Their tournament, as I mentioned, got underway this afternoon with one game as Wisconsin and Illinois played. Illinois advanced. The, the four games get going tomorrow bright and early with that Husker-Minnesota matchup at 10 a.m. Today, Ben, the conference release, they're all Big Ten men's team. Uh, Tim had some of the headlines in there. The first team, you had a couple of fighting Illini and Coburn and Desumu Garza was on that first team along with E.J. Liddell of Ohio State and Trivion Williams from Purdue. Uh, this is selected by the coaches. Uh, any problems with the first five for the men from the uh, Big Ten, all Big Ten team that came out earlier today? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, you know, I think we all probably could have pegged the top four on that list maybe even two months ago. You know, I think that's kind of where we were at with the upper echelon and you know you're kind of filling that fifth spot and you know maybe up for debate a, a little bit here and there but no I, I don't really have any issue with who they selected with the first team it's a pretty dominant first team too to be honest yeah it's it's you know Michigan wins the regular season title and they don't get anybody on the first team now they get three on the second Hunter Dickin Dickinson who's a tremendous freshman player in this league uh, in fact, he's the freshman of the year, and I have no qualms with that. He's been dominant for them, Livers and Wagner on that second team. So I, I kind of feel like if you win the league, maybe you ought to have a guy on the first team. And so to me, uh, EJ Liddell of Ohio State, I might have put him on a second team and gotten one of those Michigan kids on the first team. But I, I'm with you for the most part. It's fine. Your player of the year is Luca Garza. That's kind of a no-brainer. The defensive player of the year, Marcel from Maryland, he's terrific. I mentioned Dickinson's the freshman of the year. The coach of the year is Jawan Howard. I mean, that's he has to be, right? I mean, that team wins the league. They were incredible throughout the year. I think some other guys did great jobs. But, again, I have, I have no issue with Jawan Howard being named the coach of the year. No. And, and, you know, he's still trying to carve out, you know, what, what people think of him as a head coach. And, and so when you have a guy like that take a, take a program over in Michigan and still – 
perform at a at, at just an elite level and win the league nonetheless it anybody who would have won this league would have been worthy of the crown and i think yep. that there are probably a few coaches that are in the middle of the pack that deserve the consideration as well but you're going to get that trump card for winning this this league and you know almost a historic year for the league with with how tough this this conference was this season i do want to say that the, the media first team is a little bit different they had Coburn and DeSumo from Illinois, but they did have Trace Jackson Davis on their first team along with Hunter Dick Dickinson from Michigan. So they did not have Travion Williams from Purdue or EJ Liddell from Ohio State. So the media a little bit different look than the coaches have for this thing. And I t- honestly, I tend to lean more to what the media put together than what the coaches did. So uh, I don't say that most years, but I, I kind of feel like this year the media may be more accurate with that first team. Not that it's a huge, huge deal, but a little bit different. Uh, and Teddy Allen, congratulations to him. Did make honorable mention uh, by the media for his play for the Huskers until the departure from the team a week ago. Coming up Friday and Saturday, the Husker volleyball team back home to take on the Ohio State, the undefeated Ohio State Buckeyes and head volleyball coach John Cook had a press conference earlier today, Ben, and got into a number of different topics. Yeah, of course, Huskers uh, had an unexpected week off before the matches with Illinois. So uh, Coach Cook probably happy to walk out of there with a 6-0 weekend against the Illini. Started out by talking about his outside hitters and how they performed against uh, Illinois this last weekend. I don't know if I have an answer for you. It's just, you know, the numbers don't lie. <laughs> and and we know what we expect out of those guys. And, um, you know, so we, we've got to be better in those areas. You know, we, we were still able to pull off two wins. Nobody's been able to beat Illinois 3-0 twice. So uh, we did a good job on that. We won close games. But we know uh, if we're going to go from good to great, which we're trying to do right now, we have to have everybody firing on all cylinders. Him speaking about uh, maybe the lack of production so far for the outside hitters, at least against the Illini, and something to look forward to improving, um, how you elevate the play of those outside hitters to get them uh, moving a step forward like he just talked about. It's a great question. We're working on it. So we're trying to solve solve the problem on uh, you know how to have everybody firing in all cylinders. That's always the challenge, and and uh, that's why we practice and watch video and work on things and try to get better. It's been erratic, and I think that's kind of to be expected, Ben, because of the herky jerky schedule that they've had. Right? I mean they. They have a match opening weekend. The second weekend, they don't get to play because Northwestern has an issue. Then they get a couple weeks in a row. They get matches in, and then somebody else can't play. Wisconsin can't play. So, I, you know, I think some of that's explainable because they just haven't had the rhythm and the routine of consistent play. I think that's hard to ask. But they were fortunate to sweep both of those matches against Illinois. I mean, they weren't going to lose to them, but – they very easily could have dropped a game, either either and maybe both Friday and Saturday night. So I know he's not real happy with the consistency, but I think a lot of that's explainable because of the lack of playing matches every week. Right. Talking a little bit about the outside, how about some of the middles with Lawrence Tiverins and Kayla Caffey? How have they been hitting the ball this year? Here's head coach. Uh, I feel great about how they're hitting, and you know we made a big emphasis on it. Uh, they're putting up good numbers and they're getting a lot of attempts, which is great. Makes us harder to defend. Uh, 
our outsides should probably be better uh, because of that, and uh, we got we got to make sure we're fixing that uh, and get more production from our outside hitters. So, uh, but yeah, those guys are. We've been working on it. We had time to work on it, and it's it's paid off. Part of the reason why they've been successful, I'm sure, is the play of Nicklin Hames at the center position and, and setting the middles and being successful at that. Of course, Nicklin, um, you know, coming in very highly touted and getting more and more experience at that center spot and also the leadership role off the floor uh, with the Big Red as well. Coach Cook talked about Nicklin and her uh, ability setting the middle, middle attackers. Well, she has to, you know, it's easy to set a perfect pass at the middle, uh, but good setters can set the set the middles from a lot of different areas, and but they have to be able to put up a hittable ball because there's less room for error, and uh, so they have to be able to put up a ball that the hitters can hit and move and, and hit around the block. Um, so uh, that's that's where she's improved. She's much more consistent and uh, putting up balls that they can do something with. If you listen any to our podcast, Setting the Bar, you you know you know that John Cook is kind of the one that, that takes those setters under his wing. His grading scale is pretty, pretty harsh on setters. So you could tell that wasn't an overglowing report on Nicklin, although it's, again, the coach has very, very high standards, and that, that's why Husker Volleyball is so good. So that may not seem like it was – effusive of praise but there's a reason for that there's a madness to what he does right i mean he he just he wants them to be near darn near perfect every match and that's really hard to do well it's the same that you hear with most coaches thoughts on their quarterback and yep. why they're they're graded hard, probably more harsh than other positions because balls in their hands every play same same with a setter so absolutely you know you want to you want to hold them to a higher standard all right we've talked about the outsides we've talked about the middles we've talked a little bit about the setter position what about defensively where we're at and nebraska has some newcomers uh making the transition to college right now and what are the bigger bigger challenges for that group in the back passing you know just the level up level of uh serving is so much tougher and can they pass Consistently over time, uh, you know, and, and, and do a good job on that. Uh, so that's to be the first thing. And then the second thing is, you know, most freshmen, uh, you know, they don't understand how, how tough they need to serve. Um, so that would be the second thing. One of those freshmen for Coach Cook, um, putting in a, a tough spot, defensive specialist role from Hawaii, Keone Lei Akana, coming over and having to um, be on the receiving end of some, some Big Ten serves and some big hits there in the back end. How has she held up uh, coming over from Hawaii in her first season? Yeah, she's, she's doing an awesome job for us. Really, really pleased with uh, how competitive she is, and she battles. And uh, uh, so she, she's been, um, I think, has up to this point, has uh, done a really nice job for the role that we've created for her. And the roles with these freshmen always grow. Um, you know, the more experience and the more volleyball that they play, you know, you look at, you know, just for example, Lexi's son, I know it's a different circumstance. She came over and now she's a multiple position player for this team and required to do a lot of different things. And I think that just 
kind of the the run of the mill type expectation for coach cook you know some of these players have roles some of those roles tend to grow based on your skill set and i definitely think um her skill set's one that could grow her role the older the older that she gets Big matchup coming up this week with Ohio State. The Buckeyes uh, having a really good season so far. What has Coach Cook made of of Ohio State and uh, the challenge ahead with the Buckeyes this week? Well, 12-0 in the Big Ten is going to get a lot of people's attention. Um, They've got a new coach who has done a great job with them. They returned most, all, in fact, all their players, and they added a great freshman, uh, Londant. So uh, they're loaded. They, they've got fire, firepower. Um, they've got a setter who's very active, so we've we got to deal with that. Uh, and, um, um, you know, you got to remember, they beat Wisconsin at the end of last year. So this is not a fluke, fluke team or, a, you know, all of a sudden just a, a Cinderella team. It's a team that's... Older, uh, they've got good players, and, and now they've got a coach who's, who's helping them play really well. So 12-0 and 0 is, is pretty good. Yeah, you know, I, I was a little skeptical of the 12-0, and 0, and then I did a little bit deeper dive into who they played, and, and those 12 include wins over Penn State, two matches, two wins over Illinois. Uh, so, I mean, it's not like that they've not played anybody yet. They've not tangled with Minnesota yet. They've not tangled with Wisconsin or Nebraska. Those would be the big three in the league, but uh, they're going to get their chance, and you know they're going to be fired up and ready for it. And how about how about the state of that athletic department right now, Ben? I mean, what are they not good at? I mean, mm. it's just crazy how, how it's rolling for Ohio State. Obviously, football makes a national championship game. Basketball has been in the top ten on the men's side. Their women finished two or three, I think, in the women, or four or five, somewhere in there on the women's side. Now you have an undefeated volleyball team at this stage. Baseball, we know, is a good, solid program. I mean, I'm envious. I'm envious of what Ohio State's doing right now with that athletic department. Yeah, hard not to be, right? I mean, it's, you know, we're trying to, to just find a way to compete while we can and, you know, battle our way to the top of our divisions and, um, you know, obviously Nebraska volleyball has separated itself as one of this department's best programs year in and year out, and really everybody else is playing catch-up. I know we're pretty mm-hmm. bullish on um, on Coach Bolt's group and what they're going to provide, and, you know, we're just we're waiting for, for some of these other programs to kind of take that next step. But, yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous what that athletic department's put together, you know, the last few years. It's yeah, envious, I think, is the right word. Right now, let's turn our attention to Husker women's basketball. I'm delighted to welcome on board the program, Matt Coney. Hello, sir. How are you? Oh, it's March Madness time. I love, love it. this time of year. Isn't it great? Fantastic. State tournaments. You had the women last week, the girls, and now the boys this week. Is, this, is fan, this is great stuff. It really is. Uh, the only thing is, uh, you know, I wish the pandemic were over so we could have as many fans as we wanted. But, hey, this is a lot better than having no basketball at all. And uh, let's just get it going. Coach, before I get to tomorrow's game, um, speaking of the state tournament, there were a couple of former future Huskers that shown in that state tournament. I, I think Amy Williams has to be thrilled with this incoming class she has. Well, how can you not be uh, excited about 
Husker women's basketball after watching Allison Widener and Alexis Markowski last week. Widener winning the state title for Humphrey, St. Francis, and Clatch D2. And, you know, I think, Greg, she has really turned into a five-tool point guard. She's good with either hand. That's what really impresses me with her. I was telling Jeff Grease as we were watching that game that, you know, it's hard to know what her dominant hand is if you just watch her, you know, on five or six possessions. And she can hit the three. She can dribble, penetrate, makes good decisions, and uh, obviously has become a better defensive player than Alexis Markowski. When you look at her, doesn't she just scream Big Ten post? Yep. I mean, just I salivate when I think about her. It obviously comes from good stock with, with her father, Andy, who was a, a Husker men's basketball player. But she just has that will to win. She's got the physical tools, and then she's got that edge to her that – my goodness, I can't wait to get those those two folks in the Husker uniform. Going to be great and certainly excited for the future for that. But let's talk about the present. The tournament got underway today, but only one game. What's the deal? Why, why is there an odd number of teams in this thing this year? Yeah, Ohio State uh, institutionally um, banned three of their programs, uh, one of the swimming, fencing, and women's basketball from postseason Play. This was an institutional ban. This was uh, not anything the NCAA did. So Ohio State women were barred from the postseason, which includes the Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament. So everybody moved up one seed. So instead of it being a 14-seed tournament, it became a 13-seed tournament, which eliminated the 14-versus-11 game. So they played the 12-versus-13 today with Illinois really dominating uh, Wisconsin, 12 uh, beating 13. Uh, but that's why everybody moved up. And so uh, just one game today, and so it's only a 13-team tournament. Gotcha. I knew you would have the answer for all of us. We've been contemplating that question for a couple of days now. Okay, so the Huskers in the 8-9 matchup, and, man, they're due to beat Minnesota, aren't they? Well, I hope so. This is really one of those where Nebraska owes Minnesota. They're uh, losing two games this year to the Golden Gophers, and both of those games were very winnable for Nebraska. And both of those games, they did not have a good fourth quarter. At the game at Pinnacle Bank Arena, uh, one of the most underrated players in the in the league, a four-year senior, Gadiva Hubbard, had four three-pointers. Nebraska had their chances uh, just had a long scoring drought. And then just two weeks ago, up in Minneapolis, kind of the same thing where Nebraska uh, was right there in the fourth quarter. And then Caddy Sissoko, who had been in foul trouble the entire game, the transfer from Syracuse came in and had a dominant fourth quarter. Huskers didn't execute. So the Gophers have actually won three in a row in this series. They split the season series last year, and uh, Nebraska needs to keep Minnesota off the three-point line. If they could do that and do a better job on the glass, I feel pretty good about their their possibilities tomorrow. All right, let's let's talk postseason. What what is what do you think the league is in line to to make the NCAA's, and then what about the Husker postseason chances? In terms of Nebraska, they're looking at the WNIT, and I think they're solidly in the WNIT. In order to make the NCAA tournament, Nebraska would have to to actually win the Big Ten tournament. The the net rankings, which is the new metric that women's basketball has went to uh, this year, the men went to it last year, is really the number one thing that they're going to look at nationally just because of the uneven number of games everybody has played. So uh, look for Nebraska to uh, easily make the WNIT. The 
this year. It'll be a 48-team field played at four locations. Now, in terms of the Big Ten, the number one story here is will Maryland be a number one seed, one of the four number one seeds in uh, the NCAA tournament. The Terps right now are kind of being talked about with South Carolina as that fourth number one seed. So Maryland, who won the Big Ten regular season title, is the number one seed and his who Nebraska would play tomorrow, or I'm sorry, on Thursday, if they get by Minnesota tomorrow. Minnesota not only needs to win this Big Ten tournament, Greg, they need to win it impressively so they can lock up that fourth number one seed. But beyond that, I think the Big Ten can get seven teams in the NCAA tournament. The question is Michigan State. Michigan State had some... uh, some games canceled. They did not play Nebraska in their final road game. They're right on the bubble right now. They have to beat number 10 seed Penn State, I think, to secure an NCAA tournament berth. If they don't beat Penn State, and honestly, I think Penn State's favored in that game, the way Penn State's been playing lately, then I think the Big Ten might only get six teams. I think the first six are pretty solid. The only question, I think, is Michigan State, and I think if they get by Penn State in their first game, I think Michigan State is in. Very good. All right, the WNIT then, it's being done differently this year, right? They used to have home sites. Are they doing away with that? Do you know? Yeah, f- yeah for this year, uh, and we'll see, you know, obviously what happens next year. But, you know, it's all obviously about safety and testing and being able to, um, y- you know, have control of the site and make sure that it's being sanitized. So they have went to four locations, uh, Rockford, Illinois, Charlotte, North Carolina, Fort Worth, Texas, and Memphis, Tennessee. And they will have 12 teams at each of them. They're going to play the first three rounds in three days. So we will have three games completed the 19th, 20th, and 21st of March. And this is also different. Every team is guaranteed two games. So if you lose your first game, you'll play a consolation round game on the 20th. And then uh, the winners from each one of those four will then advance. They're not saying where they're advanced to. I think they're going to take a look at what makes the most sense geographically after that first weekend. But they're going to get that tournament done very quickly. But you're right. This is a completely different way of doing the WNIT from the way the women's tournament has done it for quite frankly, 30 years. They, they did some different things back in the early 1980s, but this is all due to the pandemic. And, you know, um, I, I applaud the the people who put the tournament on for finding a way to do it. And, you know, um, it, if it works out, I honestly would love to see him go to something like this instead of the teams doing these wacky bids and you don't, don't know to the last minute where you're going. At least this way, you know, one of the four places you might go. Absolutely. In the NCAA tournament for the women, we know the men are going to the state of Indiana. The women, San Antonio, is that correct? Yeah, it was. And it was talked about most of the season, and they finally finally finalized that about a month ago. Let's say the San Antonio era or area, Austin, Texas, is included in there. I don't really consider Austin to be San Antonio, but they are. But um, they've, they've got uh, four locations in the San Antonio region, if you will. All the practices will be at one spot in San Antonio. And so they, they really are trying to keep this uh, to where the testing is consistent and uh, everybody can stay safe. So uh, much like the man, it's going to be one area again if you consider austin texas san antonio um that's that's how it's going to work great good stuff hey buckle up and put the phone down it's a reminder from the ndot highway safety office visiting with matt Cotney. he'll be busy tomorrow morning 9 45 pregame coverage huskers take on minnesota he and jeff grish 
We'll have the call of that one. How does the how does the sound of Nolan Arenado now a Cardinal sound to you? You like that? Uh, I've been hoping for that for many years, uh, <laughs> Greg. As you know, uh, my love for the Cardinals is is unbelievable. Matt Carpenter has struggled at that third base position, and you know the Cardinals, the fans have coveted Nolan for so long. And um, you know he really um, he had a good talk with Albert Pujols, who told him that going to St. Louis would be a decision he'd never regret. And I think that really should solidify that lineup. I think St. Louis fans uh, are salivating with having Paul Goldschmidt and and Nolan in the lineup at the same time. And then you take a look at Dylan Carlson, who has a uh, a chance to have a really breakout season. If Tyler O'Neill can win the left field job, um, you know the Cardinals have a chance to do some some really good things. Yadier Molina came back, Adam Wainwright came back, but Arenado just. I mean, he's going to make Paul Goldschmidt a better hitter. I mean, I think that's the middle of the Cardinals lineup can stack up with uh, just about everybody in baseball right now. Wow, I think you're ready for opening day. I was ready for opening day. <laughs> I don't know. You know what's great is I've got that app on my phone, and so it gives me you know inning by inning updates on my smartwatch during the day, and I'm getting distracted, and I love being distracted by Cardinals baseball during the day. <laughs> That's great. All right, buddy, have a great call tomorrow. Make some noise in that tournament. That'd be fun if they could be around there for several days. It would. It would be absolutely great. I love the Big Ten tournament and uh, love March Madness. Let's get it done. Beyond the headlines. That's right. It is time for Beyond the Headlines. Brett Whitty and myself here to bring you the seven most interesting stories in sports and beyond. Starting with a little bit of contract news. No, not Dak Prescott's massive contract, uh, uh, but Skip Bayless's. Apparently, he reportedly has inked a deal or is prepared to ink a deal with Fox News worth $32 million over four years. ESPN tried to lure him away uh, to go back to ESPN to reunite with Stephen A. Smith, but FS1 desperately wants to retain the services of Mr. Bayless and are apparently lining up a second show for him in the style of Judge Judy, where Bayless would act as a judge on sports related topics uh, i guess that that begs two questions number one how much would you guys have to be paid to sit through a judge judy skip bayless show also is any sports bloviator sports talk guy besides yourselves of course worth that much 32 mil over four years getting paid more than most athletes really i mean what what's the point of hiring him just just to get attention right i mean right. I, he's not a liked person he's not a liked uh, personality. Uh, he, he his whole shtick is what what take can I have that's going to fire the most people up, and I I don't think it's it doesn't come across as genuine. The only time he comes across as genuine and where he's at on things is he's obviously a huge Cowboys fan, so you know where his rooting interests are, and that and that dictates his opinions on a lot of players. So it doesn't I don't know like the guy bothers me. I don't I don't watch or listen or follow anything that he does and. In a day and age where they're struggling to pay TV personalities to dish out that kind of money, uh, good on you, I guess. Tim, I told you last night that I don't get the the fascination with the Royals. <laughs> I don't get the fascination at all with Skip Bayless, and maybe even more so. I don't get. I just don't get it. I mean, what he says at times to me seems idiotic. 
but maybe idiotic pays. I guess in this case it does. Good for him. It's America. Get what you can get. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Yeah. The list of players that he's getting paid more than in the NBA was pretty funny to look at. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I my bet. God. Yeah. I mean, it's the fact that that guy's getting paid that much money to, to go spew nonsense is is crazy. Yeah. yeah. He's, it, and, his takes are so wrong all the time. But yeah. I mean, if, and he just wrong. does it to get a rise out of people and to get right. clicks and to get yeah. hits. And, yeah. People, people know, hate why. I think it's why Twitter exists. I think everyone hates the site. But yeah. we all use it. We all kind of can't. <laughs> yeah. It's like looking at a train wreck. You kind of can't look away sometimes. It's polarizing. Yep. All right, topic number two. Are there too many three-pointers being attempted in the NBA now? Uh, according to a new ESPN article, some NBA insiders are arguing that the number of field goals from downtown are ruining the game, and something has got to change. One league power broker apparently told ESPN he wants to cap the amount of three-point shots that can be attempted in a game. Other suggestions include moving the three-point line back, eliminating the short corner three, and even allowing each arena to draw up their own three-point line. Do you guys agree that there are too many threes being attempted in the NBA? And if so, uh, do any of those suggestions appeal to you? I, I watch a, a good amount of NBA, and I can't say that it, it ruins the game. I mean, the, you think about some of the teams that are really good right now with Milwaukee and, and Philadelphia Los Angeles, like the, like the big guys can shoot threes. Giannis can shoot threes. Embiid can shoot threes. Mm-hmm. Davis, LeBron can shoot threes. But those guys are beasts in the post. Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota, he can shoot threes, but they're beasts in the post. So, I mean, to me, it's you have just as, ma- as many dominant inside guys as you do outside guys. Vucevic in Orlando shoots threes, but, you know, he can also play, play good down low. I think the thing that's Jokic. gone away is – the mid-range jumper and there's a few guys in the league that really still make a living on that brandon ingram a guy from new orleans at mid-range j Kawhi sh- shoots the mid-range j you've got some guys that that you know like that shot and are and excel at that shot but it's either threes or post and just because guys are good at shooting them doesn't mean you start changing the rules i i, I wouldn't feel comfortable limiting threes or changing where the line you, know, you know, can't shoot short corner threes or having the arenas dictate where the line is i don't think i don't think i'd be for that yeah it's way too strong to say that it's ruining the game that's just ridiculous i i think thugathon nba ball of the 90s when the pistons and that was really hard to watch this isn't hard to watch you can sit yeah. there and say too many long-range jumpers being taken but hey we, we even hear coach hoiberg say that if you if it's not a layup we want it to be a three i mean i think that's just where everybody's coaching right now but basketball will go in cycles somebody will come along and work an offense that a lot of mid-range stuff is, is going to work and probably lead somebody to a championship, and everybody's going to go, oh, well, that's how we have to play now. So I think it will go in cycles, but I don't think you need, need to be messing with the rules right now because of that. Okay, so well, no there, plans to have a green monster built in Boston or something like that where you got to no. shoot over it now? Okay. Well, and, 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 you know, if you're worried about things like that, then let, let's take away the pick and roll because how many times in the NBA do we run a pick and roll to get a switch late in the shot clock and then have your ball handler drive, drive the ball play. in the lane? I mean, that's yeah. that's essentially what it is. So you're going to get more of that. I, I, I don't know. To start manipulating the game, I think, is yeah. is a problem. That, yeah. that would change the game a lot more than shooting a bunch of three-pointers. Yeah, yeah. Note to Adam Silver, leave our league alone. Um, all right, moving on to the world of the PGA. This week, lefty, a.k.a. Phil Mickelson, dropped out of the world golf ranking top 100 for the first time since, get this, 1993. 
It's before I was born, uh, wow. just to make everyone feel old out there. Uh, coming in at number 101, ending his 1,425-week-long streak atop the top 100 or in the top 100. Uh, this year, Phil Mickelson has, has missed the cut twice so far, hasn't won a PGA Tour event either since 2019. Uh, does this mark the end of an era for Phil, or like a phoenix, will he once again rise again and win uh, – um, who knows, maybe another major out there. What's your guys' read no, on Phil? No, his days of winning majors are over. He, he's 50 or about to be 51. Um, he's had an unbelievable run. I think he can still maybe be competitive every now and then on the PGA Tour, but I doubt he wins a tournament event. I think he's going to play on the Champions Tour quite a bit, and it'll be great for that tour. He'll be a huge draw for them. Uh, but what a magical run. I mean, I mean, to be in the top 100 for that length of time is is unheard of i mean it just doesn't happen and he's been fairly healthy throughout his tenure unlike tiger who's really had all kinds of injury situations during that thing remarkable hall of fame type career but his days of of winning on the pga tour probably over such an awesome dude too i mean how cool was that um with with uh, peyton and tiger and that other guy you know to have have that match that that we all got to watch and to hear him mic'd up was just awesome and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've become a huge Phil fan over the years, and he is good for golf, there's no doubt. All right, next topic. Um, on Monday afternoon, the 2020 Defensive Rookie of the Year, Chase Young of the Washington football team, posted a video to his Instagram surprising his parents with brand-new cars. Young said on Instagram that his first dream was making it to the NFL and that this was his second. So do you guys like the uh, – I guess the routine of NFL players giving back to their parents right away, or do you think that that money should be directed somewhere else uh, to oh, start no. their career off? Take care of your family. Your family is the one that supported mm-hmm. you and drove you to little league practices all the time and, you know, encourage you to keep at it. I mean, I absolutely. If you can do something for your family, that is fantastic. And take care of family first, and then you can outreach from there. And I'm sure he will do. I, I, he had a heck of a season. He's going to have a great NFL career. So I love stories yeah. like that. Take care, of the, take care of the people that helped and believed in you growing up. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to see these stories come out. You know, these players in the NFL come from all different backgrounds. Some of them come from well-off families. Some of them don't. And, yeah. you know, when, when you can, mm-hmm. you know, surprise your, your family with a new home or uh, the car of their dreams, I, I love it. And, yeah, I mean, I, I put that right up there with investing it. I, you know, save, save the watch, save the, uh, you know, the, the diamonds and the, the artwork mm-hmm. and, I don't know, whatever else players buy with their money right off the shoot. <laughs> go my mom and dad a new house. Buy mom, uh, you know, let her, let her go on a shopping spree, get her a new car. I, I'm all for that, and I, and it's, I love it when um, – and there's been players here at Nebraska, too, that have been motivated by that, that – you know, want, want to put their family in a better situation than than when when they, when they left for college. It's a huge motivation for a lot of players. So I, I'm absolutely for that and well, love seeing it. Well, allow me to be the contrarian, play the heel for a moment. Um, you guys probably remember it wasn't the best 30 for 30, but it, it had some good moments that broke documentary. Oh, yeah. Well, where Bernie Kosar, one of his his stories, he got kind of bilked into bankruptcy by his father who and now this is a little bit different situation chase was doing this out of the kindness of his heart whereas bernie was getting kind of worked by his dad for more and more cash and so i think there is a slippery so now chase young 
you know, he's, he, he's going to have, barring a te- catastrophic injuries, going to have a nice long career in the NFL, going to make a lot of money. But you can see a scenario where there's a there's a rookie, inks a nice rookie contract. Uh, maybe ultimately the NFL doesn't pan out. Maybe there's an injury where maybe he did, you know, did, did, did some nice things for his parents, bought him a house, bought him a car, so on and so forth. But you know, those assets, they start to pile up and, and you could get in trouble. So I don't think anyone's going to argue that what Chase Young did wasn't kind or generous because it was, but there's there's a well, slippery slope. You real know. estate's an investment, right? I mean, you, you're, right. you're investing the in a, something that... But it's a but, bubble too sometimes, right? But think about the, a lot of these guys, Tim, go blow their money on cars and jewelry and that kind of stuff. And right. Nothing that has any real value to it. Real estate has value. And now you have to time the market. If you sell on the low and buy on the high, yeah, you don't get that bright. But this is much better. And so many guys go and invest in bars and restaurants and lose their yeah. shirt on that. I mean, at least go to he's the giving club back to his family here. I mean, 32 k on bottle service. That's absolutely right. These guys go run up big-time bills out partying and a Vegas run and that kind of stuff. I mean, here, he's doing something mm-hmm. for his family. I think this is fantastic. Invest in Bitcoin, says Greg. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm yeah, not on yeah, Bitcoin yeah. yet. Or GameStop, either or. He's a GameStop. Yeah, yeah. GME um, to the moon. All right, moving on to, to one of my, my favorite to- topics. You know, some people, definitely not me, but, but some people are probably tired of Tom Brady dominating the sports landscape. But uh, soon there'll be another Brady in town, specifically Tom's niece, Maya, who plays softball at UCLA. And Maya Brady had her first homer of the season this pack this past weekend in the Bruins 14 nothing victory over San Jose State Tom already calling her the uh, most dominant Brady is this just puffery from old Tampa Tom or I think Maya is about to make a name for herself uh, in the world of softball you just you just have to find ways to do this don't you I, I wish the young lady nothing but success good for her <laughs> I yeah I, you know it, cynically I wanted to work Tom Brady in just to remind everyone you guys might have missed the Super Bowl I can uh, promise you this is the last time her name will be mentioned on Sports Nightly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll make it a bet. Uh, buy, sell. Will Maya Brady uh, uh, reemerge on, on Sports Nightly? I think I'll find a way to do it in a Beyond the Headlines segment or not. But uh, mark, mark my words. Tom Brady and – well, certainly this won't be the last time we hear Tom Brady mentioned on Sports Nightly. I can, I, I can promise you that. Right. Next time he cheats, we'll get it and we'll talk about <laughs> <Yeah>. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Seven rings. That's that's all. That's all he needs. I, I think he's gonna be okay. I think sh- I think she's set up about as as well as she possibly could be. Would be the answer to that. question. Yeah, she's got the connections. She's all good. Yeah. All right. Next topic: Utah Jazz star Donovan Mitchell fired back at LeBron James this past weekend after James dissed Utah during the NBA All Star Draft last week. James said, quote, there's no slander to the Utah Jazz. You guys have to understand, just like in video games growing up, we never played with Utah. Even as great as Carl Malone and John Stockton were, we would never pick those guys in video games. Mitchell fired back by saying that he isn't there to seek the approval of LeBron James, despite boasting the best record in the NBA. The Jazz don't seem to be getting a lot of respect from either their peers or the media. Uh, Does that sit right with you guys? Are the Jazz contenders or pretenders? They're good, man. The Jazz are good. And... I'm fine with players not bowing down to LeBron all the time. I'm a pro-LeBron guy, but why should his word supreme over everybody else's? Spider Mitchell's not afraid to voice how he feels. Don't forget, it was exactly a year ago where his teammate Rudy Gobert was touching all those microphones, mocking the COVID 
virus that was going around. And that caused a big riff in that locker room. Donovan Mitchell had Mm -hmm. a huge problem with Rudy Gobert after that. I like that he's not afraid to say how he feels and go against the grain of King James and his throne. Look, I'm all for LeBron (laughs) speaking how he feels, but I'm cool with other players not just bowing down, agreeing with everything he says. And I'm sorry you never played with the Utah Jazz and video games, LeBron, but I'm sure there were a lot of people in Salt Lake City or or wherever else that, that are huge fans of that team that, you know, hold those guys in high regard. So, you know, I hope this doesn't come back to bite you. I, I, I'm more than okay with people stepping up to to him and, you know, s- taking down his opinion. You know, he the Jazz got my attention in the bubble, right? They were really good when the, when it, when the NBA restarted that season last summer and into the fall. The Jazz really had a great run in the playoffs, so I'm not surprised that they're off to a really good start. And I agree with you. Brett, who was the soccer star that kind of went after LeBron a week or so that ago? Was Ibrahimovic. Ibrahimovic. Yeah, we're saying, hey, yeah. get, keep your nose out of politics. Just talk basketball. You're unbelievable basketball. Be like that. And LeBron came back at him. So LeBron's kind of like, hey, uh, if you don't agree with my opinion, you're wrong. He doesn't really want to hear from anybody else. He just wants to hear an echo chamber of what he thinks and does. And that's just not the way it works. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Well, speaking of contentious issues, we, we're, we're, we're closing out beyond the headlines on another firecracker. We got into this last night, but uh, the interview heard around the world, besides Ben, Ben apparently checked out, uh, but uh, Oprah Winfrey's interview with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle has made some waves across the pond and here at home about the state of the monarchy in Britain as well as the broader <laughs> socio-cultural norms of our respective countries. Uh, two views have kind of seemed to emerge out of this. Either Harry and Meghan are, are kind of victims of this repressive, stodgy institution or they're kind of narcissistic victim artists. Uh, which side of the aisle do you guys fall on the Megan Harry debate? I'll let Ben go first because I know he's really enthralled by <laughs> yeah. all this. Yeah, so you say there's two parties. There's actually a third party yeah. that doesn't give a rip, and I yeah. happen to be in uh, two feet into that camp. So um, okay. could not care less about those people, what they have to say, what they said in an interview. <laughs> Didn't hurt my feelings. I, I haven't seen any. I don't even know what was said. So uh, didn't lose a second of sleep over it last night and w- went on with my day today <laughs> like it didn't happen. So I am I am full full two feet into the camp of uh, don't give a rip of uh, what what's going on it, over there across the pond. It it's it's kind of puts in. It's kind of a, the society we live in today. It's kind of the yep. atmosphere of everything we live in today is exactly what you laid out, Tim. Is that it's. <laughs> Either you've been repressed or denied something in your life, so you have to go down that avenue, or mm-hmm. you're on the other side of stodgy, this is the way it's always been done. It's kind of those two camps. We kind of live in that world right now. But, again, I still don't get the American fascination with the British royals. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah, no idea. I think it's, it's, it's also funny because I think the dynamics have kind of flipped where I, I, you know, a lot of people – you know, feel kind of offended on the Queen's behalf. It's like, technically, you know, this country uh, had a pretty pretty ugly divorce from the monarchy back in 1776. But I, I'll play the contrarian view. I think that Meghan and, and Harry are a, a bit much. I think that Meghan is, and is kind of playing this up a little bit. Uh, but I could also believe that uh, having watched The Crown, which I'm told is a quite reliable, almost documentary-like show. You've watched show. it. I have, I have seen it. It's good stuff. Uh, good. I, I could see how being in the royal family could, could, could that'd be a little bit of a stifling environment to grow up in, but uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride the fence. I, I, but I, I can also see Ben's view where yeah, we probably pay a little bit too much attention to what's going on with do the you, Windsors. Do you not think Meghan Markle knew what she was getting into? 
She you had to have that, known because right, I mean, exactly. thing, right? she had to have known a little bit yeah. because because she yes. she also said, "Oh, I didn't even know the national anthem." I was like, "Really?" What? I mean, first of all, that takes Come two on, seconds man. to Google, but I you're going to marry a prince, you're going to enter that that right. world. You have to be ready for. And she it. could have asked him about like you know she was upset she had to curtsy to the queen. It's like, well, she is you know. The queen. That's so. how it works. That's the family yeah. you married into. Well, the, and the thing is, we we probably learned all this stuff from watching TV and movies growing up. And, and she's an actress, so you have to wonder where yeah. the, uh, the cultural osmosis. Was. You know. Wow. Well, there right. we go. There you have it. The best. Ben, headlines. you have any final comments on this topic? It, I like. Is it, it like? Am I the am I the only one on the planet that doesn't know what you guys are talking about? Like, even Brett's chiming in and knew that this gal was an actress. Like, I whatever. I'm I mean, surprised you. Knew. I mean, it's just everywhere. I understand not wanting to like delve into it, but it's it's like how do you not know who Meghan Markle is? It's just like it's just around. It's like the Kardashians. They're just kind of. Why do you like Tom Brady? I mean, there are some questions that just can't be answered. You know. No, I mean, that, I can answer that. He's a god on earth. I mean, I I just respect the goat. <laughs> so goodness. there you go. She used to be one of those briefcase holders on Deal or No Deal. <laughs> Did she really? Yeah. Yeah. She was. Uh, she, she was on Suits. She was on that USA show. She, yeah. she didn't That's win any where, Academy Awards. Is the, oh. the, the, the long she, and short of it. She had some bit parts in some movies too. So yeah. all right, that's that's enough on Meghan Markle. Good stuff, guys. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. Well, we thought that with the NCAA tournament a week away, the college basketball season winding down, that we would have to do something with the tournament. And, Tim, Ben, we were kicking around the thoughts of, you know, this seems to be one of those years where a lot of the big-time blue bloods haven't had good years, aren't going to be in the tournament at all. And we thought we'd kind of put together a list of teams that maybe aren't going to make it at all, are going to make it, and just have not had good years. Was this easy for you boys to do, or was it uh, tough? Yeah, I think at the margins there are some tough calls because I did include a couple of teams that I think are going to make the tournament, but nonetheless the, did have a, a bit of a down a year. I mean, when you're talking about uh, certain high-profile programs uh, like a North Carolina that's that's considered a bubble team, even if you think they're ultimately going to make it in, uh, I think they still deserve some, some healthy criticism for their – years they've had so a couple tough calls but frankly with the year that we've had uh with this basketball season there there were plenty of uh teams to choose from that had some 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 downers this year i uh i didn't put any teams that i felt according to the bubbles that i looked at were going to be in so all of these are teams that have racked up a lot of wins in their team's history a lot of championships in their team's history that aren't going to be a part of the tournament this year. And um, some of them are pretty eye-popping, so I'm probably digging a little further down the well than you guys if you included bubble teams on your list. Okay. Very good. Tim, why don't you lead us off? Well, the first uh, team I've got on my list is probably one that, that's on Ben's as well, and that's uh, Indiana. I mean, Archie, fire Archie Miller already. I mean, <laughs> they, they, lost, they lost five in a row to end the season they had a you know twelve and fourteen overall record, seven and twelve in conference. Granted, a difficult conference, but uh, look, there there really is no excusing the season they had. Only six and six at home, three and seven away. They did have a three and one neutral court record, but uh, that uh, that doesn't really matter much in the Maui Invitational. So, Indiana, a, a pretty disappointing, underwhelming season for them, and really an underwhelming tenure uh, for Archie Miller. Indiana, my number ten. Okay, very good. Um, they might appear on my list a little bit later on, and just a little teaser 
there. Number 10 for me are the DePaul Blue Demons. I'm, I'm older than you guys, so I remember the great run they had in the 80s where Mark Aguirre and they, they were just one of the top five teams in college basketball. They have fallen off the map. They're 4-13 and 13 this year, last in the Big East. Ben knows this. They built a beautiful new arena down near the McCormick Place in Chicago. Now, that hasn't really helped them because they haven't been able to put fans in there. But you talk about a program that at one time was really solid with, with Joey and Myers as their head coach. They have just gone to pot. So DePaul makes my list at number 10. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you, Greg. Uh, same wavelength, different conference, though. I've got the Temple Owls here at number 10. Mm-hmm. Um, team that's just 5-10 and 10 on the year, and they've played in a ton of NCAA uh, tournaments in their past. John uh, seven time, Yeah, seven-time Sweet 16 member, and, of course, you know the late John Chaney, who, who just passed – um, from us here just a, just a short time ago, a little over a month ago, but just an awful year for Temple basketball. And, you know, you look at the, their school's past and basically being in the NCAA tournament, um, you know, every year from the year basically 19, you know, the late 80s all the way to, you know, the mid-2000s. They've, they've had a hard time getting going since then, but um, just a bad year this year at 5-10. and 10. Yeah, my number nine, I've got a team that maybe people wouldn't consider a blue blood, but but still a solid program. I've got Seton Hall. Uh, had a really down year this year, and they've now lost four games in a row. Maybe the NCAA tournament committee decides that they deserve a bid. I mean, they're, they're just one game above 500, but I, I'd be pretty shocked if, if they made it in, to be honest, with the way that they ended their year. Uh, maybe if they go on a run of the Big East tournament. But yeah, they, Seton Hall has always been a, a decent program. They really had a lot of success in the late 80s and, and mid-90s, as well as the early 2000s, and certainly with recent years with guys like Miles Powell. And so, talented program, but this year, they, they just didn't have the juice. So maybe they make it in, but I don't think so. Seton Hall, my number nine. All right, very good. My number nine, I'm going out west. I'm going to the Pac-12, the Washington Huskies. What's happened to that program? My goodness, they were really good. Isaiah Thomas and just a bunch of guys that came through there where they would be a one, a two, a top four, five seed for year after year after year. They're five and 20. I mean, they have just fallen off the map. I'm not really sure what's going on for the Huskies. They make my uh, list at number nine. All right, very good. Uh, my number nine, I'm going to the ACC here, a team that had a decent year, but overall just not not where they, they used to be. And, you know, it's been a while since they've, um, you know, put together a squad. You know, the, the, I think they had a Sweet 16 team all, not all that long ago, but I've got the NC State Wolfpack here um, at number nine. You know, you look at – their past history and last appeared in a tournament, I guess, 2018 was that year. Um, 2015 was our last Sweet 16. Two-time national champion. Of course, the team that knocked off five Slamma Jamma in 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just overall, just um, not the season that – and former Husker Tom, Thomas Allen, a part of that um, team as well. They're, they're on a roll right now, but I think they lost. There was a – period in early january where they lost like seven of eight or something like that they're on a nice win streak um as they head into the tournament but yeah overall just a a disappointing year for the wolf pack 
My number eight, I've got Wichita State, a team that has in recent years been quite successful. But now that they're in kind of an interesting place because Greg Marshall obviously got let go this past fall. And, uh, you know, looking at their record, of course, they actually had a decent year, 15-4 overall, 11-2 and in conference. But I'm kind of picking at them a little bit because – the resume just isn't there. I mean, you look at the the only really talented teams they played, uh, they lost to. I mean, you had number 11 Houston. They, they, they lost to them. They only played Memphis once, lost by 20, and they never had to play SMU this year. So they're one of those teams that – you know they might be exposed as a fraud if they if they do you know get, make the tournament and uh and actually try and get things going because i know they got also hit with a covid bug a little bit they had a they had a lot of postponements so uh, they're, they're kind of one of those teams that doesn't look terrible on paper but i think that they're probably kind of a fraud i'm not big on wichita state this year so they're my they're my number eight okay i think they've decided to give that interim coach the permanent tag i think that came out last week for yeah. the shockers all right, my number eight, I'm going, as Ben was in the ACC, I'm going to the ACC for my number eight. And here I've got Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons, that proud history, Tim Duncan, Chris Paul, terrific basketball teams for several decades. They're now 6-16. Six and 16. They're next to last in the ACC conference. They fired Danny Manning after last season, and they just continue to spiral downward. Great history, great tradition, but, man, they are bad right now. So Wake Forest makes my list at number eight. All right, my number eight, Greg, we kind of flip-flop conferences. Uh, I'm, I'm going to the Big East here where you just were not that long ago. I've got Marquette here at number eight, um, and not so much what they've done lately, but you look back to their NCAA tournament appearances. They only missed the tournament five times since the year 2002. So this is a team that's made for March. They had great teams in the 70s, national champions in late 70s and 77, national runner-up in 74. Another team with pretty good history with Dwayne Wade, and this year ninth in the Big East Conference at 13-13, and and another year where they'll be left out of the NCAA tournament. So I've got Marquette here at number eight. My number seven, I've got Xavier here, a team that, you know, I guess looking back just a a week or so ago, they they did beat – number 11 Creighton but that was in the wake of of the whole McDermott uh situation so I'm not really counting that for much they're below 500 in the conference and uh, you know I guess in recent years Xavier's been a little bit of a slide I mean you look at that stretch they had from like really 2001 to like 2018 they only missed the tournament like twice in that stretch so it's pretty it's pretty rare that you see a team like Xavier not making the NCAA tournament but this year I, I just don't know if they had it uh, 13 and 7 overall but just 6 and 7 in conference and they're on a two game losing streak to close out the season with that win against Creighton that is now kind of suspect so I, I'm not so sure about Xavier this year and I, I don't think that they'll make it if they do they'll, they'd probably be a 12 seed and even then I don't think they deserve it so Xavier my number seven okay very good my number seven has already been mentioned this is where I've got Temple Ben had them at number 10 and just, you know, John Chaney was such an icon, such a great coach, a couple of decades as their head coach, and they were just such a power. You always saw them in the tournament, and most tournaments they made it to the second weekend, but they are nowhere near that kind of a program anymore. They have really fallen on a hard time, so I've got Temple here at seven. All right, my number seven listeners to this show know how big of a fan I am of Kemba Walker. I, I was a big Connecticut fan you know growing up and so I I followed the old Big East religiously and one of the teams that was a a power in that conference pretty much every year under Mike Bray was Notre Dame 
And man, have they fallen off? They're eleven and fourteen. They're eleventh mm. in the ACC. Uh, this is a team that uh, has had two seeds recently. They uh, made the tournament every year from 2010 to 2017. Um, you know, uh, Elite Eight member about eight or nine times in their team's history, and they're talking about blowing out Mike Bray. But, man, you think about some of the great teams that the Irish have had recently, and to, to, to be where they're at right now and to be talking about um, spoiling the reputation of one of the great coaches in that school's history under Mike Bray, 11 and 14, the 11th in the ACC, not a good look. Yeah, my number six, I've got a team that may or may not appear in your guys' list. I've got Michigan State here. Um, look, they'll, they'll probably make it in, given that they had sort of a late push at the end of the year. They beat Illinois, Ohio State. Uh, they even turned around and beat Michigan to cap off the regular season. But that being said, diabolical schedule aside, they still went under 500 in the conference. Granted, it's the toughest conference in. Uh, the country probably, but they also were only three and eight away from home. Uh, th- that's not great if you're a tournament caliber team, but who knows? Knowing Tom Izzo, uh, they, they tend to get hot just at the right time, just in time for a tournament run. So who knows? Maybe he, he drags this team across to an elite eight finish or something like that. But uh, I still want to put him on my list just because I've been kind of underwhelmed by the Spartans this year. So that's why they're my number six. You imagine, though, let's say they're a 10 seed. You imagine if you're in that bracket and you're the two, you're going, we've got to beat him? We've got to beat that guy to get to the Sweet yeah. 16? True, true. I mean, and they have taken down Michigan and Illinois. They've beaten two number one seeds, I, you know, at home. Yeah, but really, has home, home court been that big of an advantage this year? But, no, I get what you're saying, though. My number seven, man, I'm following Ben here. I, I got the Irish at number seven. It's really, I mean, this has been a bad year for Mike Bray. And so is it just a blip? Or is this a trend? I think next year will be an interesting year up in uh, South Bend for Mike Bray. I am sticking with my old Big East trend here, but I'm going to the American Conference with Cincinnati. The Bearcats, man, were they were those teams under Mick Cronin just so physical, so big, so strong, matchup nightmares for every team in the NCAA tournament. This year they're just 10-10. and 10. Uh, they've had five games postponed to COVID. They've only played two ranked teams. The most recent time was Houston, and they lost by 40 to six-ranked Houston. They just aren't what they used to be. Mick Cronin obviously gone um, and just not, not close to what the Cincinnati was that, that we used to uh, what, what we used to know. So uh, fifth place in the American, uh, obviously going to miss out on the tournament this year. I wouldn't put it past them to get back there next year or the year after or be, be right toward the top of the standings. But as far as this year um, goes, not, not a good look for, for the Bearcats. My number five, I got another Big Ten team, a team that's basically in the same boat as Michigan State right now, and that's the Terps, Maryland. They've just been okay this year. Um, 9-11 in Big Ten play, a, a tough conference, but still below 500, and they've lost two to end the regular season of course they had that stretch uh where they won like four or five games in a row two of of course were against nebraska when they had that back-to-back game uh so uh, but again i i, I they're, they're probably not they haven't been the most disappointing team by any stretch of the imagination in, in, in college basketball but they've been kind of up and down they've been kind of middling and i think that even if they do sneak into the tournament I'm just not I've just not been a fan of them this year I think they've really dropped off uh, from their level of play in the past few years and again I I think that if they do sneak into the tournament which they probably will I think that they're going to exit pretty quickly so that's why they're my number five Mark Turgeon always seems to be on the hot seat with those fans and I think that their expectation is that they should be 
every few years in the Final Four. I think that's shooting a little high yep. for where they are right now, but uh, they always play hard. There's no doubt about that. All right, I'm I'm following Ben. I've got Cincinnati at six, and. Uh, this is year two without Mick Cronin, and neither one have been very good. I, I think that pro- program's in trouble. Huggy Bear had such great teams all through those years. Cronin came in and did a great job following up Bob Huggins. You go back into the 60s when they were so good with Oscar Robertson. Uh, they have a long ways from that. So Cincinnati's kind of really fallen off in, in a pretty good basketball conference, that American Athletic Conference, pretty good league. Yeah. Um, All right, my number five mentioned by you, Greg, a little earlier. I've got Washington here at number five, and not so much for, you know, how good they've been. They have had some good teams, but, I mean, they're they're nowhere close. Four and 16, five and 20 this year. You kind of gave their stats already. Just awful. Just not a good basketball team at all. And, you know, we've already seen that uh, them put together some decent talent. Markel Fultz, another, uh, you know, player that was – highly thought of they've had some decent talent but man you go up and down some of their um, games this year in the Pac-12 they have one conference win uh, don't have a single conference excuse me they have one conference win that's by more than four points and they only have five so (laughs) even the games that they're winning aren't by very much and a lot of the games that they are losing they're getting blown out pretty badly so hard to see Washington turn this around 11th in the Pac-12 this year for the Huskies uh, my number four, uh, speaking of Mick Cronin, I've got UCLA. He's in charge of the Bruins right now. And, again, you look at their record, and, and it doesn't immediately scream that they've had a disappointing year, but they've, they've finished up the season on three consecutive losses in a conference, as, as Ben was talking about, which is a little bit down uh, this year. And so, again, a, a team that probably is going to make it into the tournament. They've had a really good home record, 11-1, and one, but – uh, I, I just I think that they're again one of those kind of pretender type teams where they look good on paper, but coming into the tournament, coming off of three straight losses in a relatively weaker year for their conference, uh, I'm I'm not a big fan of the Bruins, so that's why they're my number four. Okay, my four uh, is Georgetown. Patrick Ewing leading the Hoyas and not leading them in the right direction. They're nine and twelve. Took over for John Thompson Jr., and he just has not gotten any momentum in that program at all. And the worry is that he's had enough time to, to make a little bit of a turn and just can't seem to get it going. Man, I love used to watch Georgetown basketball. Right now, though, it's kind of tough to, to watch. It's sore in the eyes. Yeah, speaking of sore and former Big East teams, I'm going to stick with that trend again, but back to the ACC I go, the eighth-place team in the league, and uh, this is the first team I thought of when we did this list, to be honest, just because of the quote that Jim Beheim had with the media a few days ago, just sniping at a reporter um, for asking him about personnel decisions. Syracuse, 15-8, and eight, their eighth place in the ACC, and they really don't have a signature win, boys. I mean, Virginia Tech, I guess, is their best win in January, but no, no wins over ranked teams other than that. They're going to be left out of the tournament. And, you know, Jim Beheim's just turning sour. And uh, after seeing that quote and, and reading Orange fans' comments, they, they've about had it with, uh, with the man up there in uh, the state of New York. So I've got the cues here at number four. My number three, I've got Kentucky. Woof. I mean, they started out the year one and six. Although they've won the uh, four of their last six, they just lost way too many games this year. Uh, nine and 15 overall, below 500 in the conference. They had that nice win against Tennessee a little bit ago, but uh, I-, I would expect that they're staying home this March. Tough, tough year for, uh, for Cal Pal in, the, uh, in Kentucky. My number three. 
Okay. My three, Tim had at 10. This is where I've got Indiana. Just a disappointing, really, set of years for, for Archie Miller. And you, we, we talked about it on the air the other night. You just feel like the end is near for Indiana trying to find the right guy to get them back to the, the Bob Knight era of that program. And I think they probably have seen enough of Archie to realize it ain't going to happen with him. So I've got Indiana at three. Greg, I copy you this time. Got the Hoosiers at three. I want to say his first year, were we up in Minneapolis uh, doing a live sports nightly when they got beat by, I think it was Indiana State yeah. really early. And we look at each other like, oh, boy, this isn't a good start to the Archie Miller era. And it hasn't gotten better since. So You know I what? Know- I, well, I don't think it was even Indiana State. It was like ooey pooey or somebody like that. That, that could be. Yeah, but we're – I mean, they've had great players <clears throat> coming out of come out of that program too. Trace Jackson Davis, Romeo Lankford. They've had some really good players, but not translating to wins. Yeah. All right, my number two, it's too bad producer Austin isn't here to hear this, but uh, who could it be other than the Duke Blue Devils? Uh, They're right at 500 in a year where the ACC has been uh, more down than usual, and they closed out the regular season with three straight losses. They also lost to Boston College in the ACC tournament by like 30 uh, or 35, something like that, and and they've just had a rough year. Speaking of testy exchanges with reporters, he also got after a student reporter a few weeks ago asking this really condescending, condescending question about like, Oh, would you ask that to me? What's your toughest you know, class? Is it chemistry? Would you ask that same question to me if you just walked into the chemistry class? It's just this like very petty exchange with a student reporter, and he's just had a bad, bad year, and, and Duke have looked really lifeless and listless. And, yeah, I, I don't think they deserve a tournament bid. That's why they're my number two. I'm with you. I've got them at two. They're out. They have to win the ACC tournament. And you know what? They're Duke. They might. They might get on a run this week and go win that thing. But, yeah, it's been a really sour year. And you've got some guys like Beheim and Krzyzewski that just you kind of feel like maybe it's time to hang it up, guys. I mean, they kind of seem a little crotchety. Both yeah, those yeah. guys do. Yeah, yeah, holier-than-thou type approach. My number two has been mentioned. I've got Kentucky <clears throat> here at number two for me. I mean, it's just weird looking at the SEC standings and seeing Kentucky um, down there midway through the, the standings there. They're 8-9. and nine, They're 9-15. Nine and 15. You kind of feel like the, finally has come back to bite coach cal with this one and done type uh recruiting philosophy it's it's about time since that's happened and you know you look at the sec standings really kind of a bizarre year with good programs like texas a&m and auburn who was a final four team and kentucky just be terrible and teams like alabama and arkansas ranked in the top 10 uh but yeah kentucky for me my number two well my number one ben you already had it this is where i've got the uh, the orangeman syracuse Basically played no one in their non-con. They had a really poor record away from home. Maybe that win against North Carolina puts them back in contention, and maybe they go on a run in the ACC tournament. But other than that, I, I think that they've been really flat and disappointing this season. And, yeah, Jim Bayheim, uh, yeah, I would, I would endorse that decision to, to hang it up. It feels like the past few years with Syracuse, they've just been kind of treading water more than anything else. So they're my number one, and, yeah, I haven't been super impressed with, with what they've done this season. Well, my number one, Tim, you had him at three. Ben, you had him at two. I've got Kentucky here. I mean, it just—it's falling apart. Coach K couldn't get the, Coach Cal couldn't put that thing together. Uh, just really, really disappointing for the Cats. So they're my number one. My number one, Greg. We have it flip flopped. I've got the Dukies here at number one. It's truly a shame that I won't be picking them to get upset in the first round of the tournament this year on my bracket. They won't be on it. They will, <laughs> they will not, not be on it. They will not be there. All right, good stuff. Coming up this weekend is the NCAA Indoor Track and Field Championships, and we're delighted to welcome 
onto the program, Husker track and field coach Gary Pep. And Coach, great to have you with us tonight. I hope you're doing well. Hey, well, thanks, Greg. I'm glad to be on here and to have such beautiful weather. Oh, boy, it's been great. It's almost thinks it's time for the outdoor season uh, pretty soon. But... I'm afraid it's going yeah, to change. Oh, yeah, it's Nebraska. We're not done with a little bit of cold air still coming our way here in, mo- in the month of March. Coach, before I get into the NCAA's, recap for me the, the Big Ten indoors. How did you feel like your teams competed a couple weeks ago out back in Ohio? Well, I think that certainly that uh, myself and our staff and and the kids were first of all glad to have a, uh, a conference indoor championship. Uh, it was a, a very very difficult situation as all the other uh, sports had as well in our conference, and and uh, we had lots of of issues that had to do with facilities and competitions going into that meet because of the direction of the conference. Uh, certainly in track and field, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, in Division One track and field now, there's somewhere between 330 and 350 teams in the country. Uh, and we were one of the few, uh, certainly, Power Five uh, schools uh, or conferences that didn't have pretty much open competition wherever they wanted to go. And so uh, that was that was really tough for us because – we had uh, two meets at home, uh, which we normally have maybe at least four meets at home, but we had two. And in some of those meets, we had no competition from the other schools other than just our own athletes that were there. And so it was, and, and then along with all of the issues with COVID and et cetera, uh, we felt like going into that conference meet, we were about a month behind where we would normally be. Uh, so, uh, I, of course, uh, in normal years for us, we go into that meet with only one purpose, and that's to win the championship. We're not going there to get second or third or fourth or whatever. And and uh, uh, second, of course, is better than than third. But uh, so we we were disappointed. Uh, I think, and particularly our men, we ended up fourth. Uh, that wasn't as good a team as what we thought we had, and and. We're going to work hard to try to change that outdoors, and we think we're going to have a better team. And the women finished sixth, and and they were really struck with lots of of injuries and COVID problems going into that. Uh, and both both teams uh, on the I suppose the positive side, it, very very young group of of athletes, uh, but boy, we didn't have hardly any um, complaints. Uh, they hung in there. They did all they were supposed to do. And, and so from that standpoint, uh, uh, I'm glad that we at least have uh, had a competition. You know, one of the things that's real tough with this for us, particularly in the Big Ten Conference, is there's a lot of track and field athletes in the Big Ten Conference that are hoping to get qualified through a trial system in our country or other countries for the Olympic Games. Yep. And the Big Ten system for, for competition has really put us at enormous disadvantage. Just for example, we figured that we're probably, oh, 30, 35% fewer people that qualified for the national indoor meet this year compared to normal years. And wow. so, uh, yeah, and, and so we, we have kids that are hoping to make uh, an Olympic team, and they're looking now like at our outdoor season that's getting ready to, 
to come up here in, in uh, uh, about a month. Uh, and they're looking at that, and they're thinking, gee, Mani, we're only going to have about three meets before the conference outdoor meets, and those meets for pretty much have to be in the footprint of the Big Ten Conference, and what's the weather going to be like at that time, and what's our opportunities going to be to get you know, qualified for those standards and stuff. So uh, they're hanging in there, but, boy, it, it's hard as a coach to be able to positively – answer some of those questions that they have absolutely again visiting with husker track and field coach gary peppin here on sports highly one of the highlights over the last month to six weeks coach had to be that nebraska crowned a cross-country championship and i know coach harris handles your distance runners and handles cross-country but can you talk about george cushy and the accomplishment of doing that that's really impressive isn't it yeah, George is a, an outstanding athlete and a great student and, and from South Africa. Um, I, I think that, that he hopes that that someday his best event is going to be uh, the mile indoors or the equivalent of that outdoors, the 1,500 meters. Uh, but he certainly went into that competition uh, trying to win it, and, and uh, he and Dave put together a, a, a terrific plan, and, and he just did a wonderful job, and, and um, that it's been a long time since we've had a, a conference champion in cross country. So, so that was really special. George is one of your five athletes headed to the indoor this weekend in, in Fayetteville. Give us the rundown. Who, who's who are you taking down to, to down to Arkansas for this? Okay, well, it's it's kind of interesting. We we have a, a freshman girl in the long jump. And I, I emphasize freshmen uh, because, again, with all of the schools in the NCAA indoor, only 16 athletes in the United States get to compete in that meet. And so she's going in there as either one uh, or maybe uh, one of two or three freshmen in the long jump in the entire country. And, and her name is Lishana uh, Elvis, and she's from Estonia. And uh, she is a great gal, going to be a terrific athlete for us, and uh, we're really excited that uh, that she's here. Then we have a, a sophomore that's from Millard North, a little tiny guy by about, uh, I suppose he's, oh, merely weighing now about 335, <laughs> and his name is Kevin Schubert in, in the shot put. And he's 16th, and again, interestingly, there's only two sophomores in the shot. And so uh, for, a, for a sophomore uh, to make it in the throwing events, uh, that's an event a little bit like the distance area where it normally takes a considerable amount of time and, and in his event a lot of eating and a lot of lifting weights to, in order to get there. But he's, he's done a great job and he's highly motivated. And, and uh, so we're excited about him. Then we have a, a guy in the, in the triple jump, and he, by the way, is from Liberia uh, and hopes to compete for the Ivory Coast in the Olympic Games. And his name is Poppy Glewulu, an uh, outstanding triple jumper, and he's going in as the eighth-ranked triple jumper uh, in the country. Uh, he long jumps a little bit, too. Uh, great guy, hard worker. Uh, transferred well originally from Kansas City, uh, mm-hmm. and he trans he transferred in from University of Oklahoma, and uh, we're really excited to get him. Uh, then we have George, of course, 
and George is going in uh, in ninth place uh, in the in the mile. And of course, they they score eight. So we're hoping that he gets up there and, and gets in a scoring position. And then we have uh, uh, and George, of course, is from South Africa. And then we have another South African, Berger Lambert. And Berger is going as in another great big guy that's a shot putter. His father was a great big shot putter as well, internationally uh, level thrower. Uh, and he uh, is a terrific guy, great big guy, and has just gotten better and better and uh, has the second best throw all time for Nebraska in the shot. And we've had some great shot putters here, uh, including um, national champions and, and the whole work. So he's really doing a good job. Well, Coach, we wish those five and, and you all the best of luck heading down to Fayetteville for the meet this weekend. And and I know you you are you and, and all the coaches at Nebraska right now are just hoping we get this pandemic behind us and we can kind of get back to normal, right? Next fall when school gets going again oh, and we get 100%. we get things going. Yes. Well, and I appreciate you having me on, and and uh, thanks, and we're looking forward to the competition. Coach, thank you. Best of luck. Appreciate it.